What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Section 7, Book the Seventh of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer, translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 7, Book the Seventh. Argument. Hector challenges the bravest of the Greeks to a single combat, and nine of the chiefs having cast lots, Ajax is appointed to meet him. Having protracted the contest till night, the combatants exchange gifts and separate. A truce is then made for the purpose of burying the dead, and the Greeks fortify their camp. Thus having said, illustrious Hector rushed forth from the gates, and with him went his brother Alexander, for both were eager in soul to wage war and to fight. As when the deity hath given a prosperous wind to expecting mariners, after they have become weary, agitating the deep with well-polished oars, and their limbs are relaxed with toil, thus then did those two appear to the expecting trojans then they slew the one indeed menesius son of king arathus whom the club-bearer arathus and large-eyed philomedusa brought forth but hector smote aeonius with his sharp spear upon the neck under his well-wrought brazen helmet and relaxed his limbs and glaucus son of hippolochus leader of the lycian heroes in fierce engagement smote iphinus son of dexius upon the shoulder with his spear as he vaulted on his swift mares but he fell from his mares to the ground and his limbs were relaxed but when the azure-eyed goddess minerva saw them destroying the greeks in fierce engagement she descended straightway rushing down from the tops of olympus to sacred ilium then apollo hastened to meet her having perceived her from pergamus for he wished victory to the trojans and they met each other at the beech-tree. Her first, King Apollo, the son of Jove, addressed. Why again dost thou, O daughter of mighty Jove, come ardently from Olympus, and why hast thy mighty soul impelled thee? It is that thou mightest give to the Greeks the doubtful victory of battle, for thou dost not pity the Trojans perishing. But if thou obeyest me in aught, which indeed would be much better, let us now make the war and conflict to cease this day, Afterwards shall they fight until they find an end of Ilium, since it is pleasing to the mind of you goddesses to overthrow this city. But him in turn, the azure-eyed goddess Minerva thus addressed, Be it so, far darter, for I myself, meditating the same things, came down from Olympus to the Trojans and the Greeks. But come, how dost thou intend to make the battle of men to cease? Her then, in turn, King Apollo, the son of Jove, addressed, let us arouse the valiant spirit of horse-breaking Hector, if perchance he will challenge some one of the Greeks to fight against him singly opposed in grievous combat. And the well-grieved Greeks enraged will urge on some single man to fight with noble Hector. Thus he spoke, nor did the azure-eyed goddess disobey. But Helenus, the dear son of Priam, perceived in his mind the counsel. 
which seemed good to the gods deliberating. He therefore went and stood near Hector, and thus accosted him. Hector, son of Priam, equal to Jove in wisdom, wilt thou obey me in aught? For I am thy brother. Cause all the rest of the Trojans and the Greeks to sit down, but do thou thyself challenge whoever is the bravest of the Greeks to fight against thee in grievous combat, for it is not yet thy fate to die, and to draw on fate. For to this effect have I heard the voice of the immortal gods. Thus he spoke, but Hector in turn rejoiced exceedingly, having heard his advice, and accordingly advancing into the midst, grasping his spear in the middle, he restrained the phalanxes of the Trojans, and they all sat down. Agamemnon also caused the well-grieved Greeks to sit down, and Minerva also, and silver-bowed Apollo, sat like unto vulture birds on a lofty beech-tree of their sire, the aegis-bearing Jove, delighted with the heroes. Of these the ranks sat thick, horribly bristling with shields, and helmets, and spears, and as the ripple of the west wind just risen is poured over the ocean, and the sea begins to darken under it, such sat the ranks of the Greeks and Trojans in the plain. But Hector thus spoke in the midst of both armies, Hear me, ye Trojans, and ye well-grieved Greeks, whilst I speak what the mind in my breast commands me. Saturnian Jove, indeed, sitting aloft, has not ratified the leagues, but devising evils against both sides ordains them till either ye take well-turreted Troy, or yourselves fall at your sea-traversing ships. Amongst you, indeed, there are the bravest of all the Greeks, of whom whomsoever his mind orders to fight with me. Let him come hither from amongst all, to be a champion against noble Hector. This then do I propose, but let Jove be our witness. If, on the other hand, he shall slay me with his long-pointed spear, having stripped off my armor, let him bear it to the hollow ships, but send my body home, that the Trojans and the wives of the Trojans may make me deceased, a partaker of the funeral pyre. But if, on the other hand, I shall slay him, and Apollo shall give me glory, having stripped off his armor, I will bear it to sacred Ilium, and I will hang it up on the temple of far-darting Apollo. But his body I will send back to the well-benched ships, that the long-haired Greeks may perform his exequies, and pile up for him a tomb on the wide Hellespont. And hereafter will some one of the future men say, as he sails over the sea in his many-benched ship, This, indeed, is the tomb of a hero long since deceased, whom once, bearing himself doughtily, illustrious Hector slew. Thus hereafter will some one say, But this my glory shall never perish. Thus he said, But all became mute in silence. Ashamed, indeed, they were to refuse, and yet they dreaded to accept the challenge. At length, however, Menelaus stood up, and spoke amongst them, rebuking them with reproaches, and he groaned greatly in spirit. Alas, ye boasters, Greek dames, no longer Grecian men, certainly will these things be a disgrace, most grievously grievous, if none of the Greeks will now go against Hector. But may ye all become water and earth, sitting there, each of you faint-hearted, utterly inglorious, but I myself will be armed against him but the issues of victory are rested in the immortal gods. Thus having spoken, he put on his beautiful arms. Then indeed, O Menelaus, would the end of life have befallen thee at the hands of Hector, since he was much the better man, had not the princes of Greeks, starting up suddenly, restrained thee, and the son of Atreus himself, wide-ruling Agamemnon, seized thee by the right hand, and addressed thee, and spoke. 
thou art mad menelaus offspring of jove nor hast thou any need of such madness restrain thyself although grieved nor wish for the sake of contention to fight with a braver man than thyself hector the son of priam whom others also dread nay even achilles who is much braver than thou dreads to meet him in the glorious fight but now going to the troop of thy companions sit down against him the greeks will set up some other champion although he be intrepid and insatiable of battle i think that he will gladly bend his knee if he shall escape from the hostile battle and grievous fight thus speaking the hero dissuaded his brother's mind advising him rightly and he obeyed his joyful attendants then stripped the armour from his shoulders then nestor arose amidst the greeks and said o gods surely great grief comes upon the grecian land certainly the aged knight peleus the excellent counsellor and adviser of the myrmidons will greatly lament who formerly interrogated me greatly rejoiced in his palace inquiring the race and offspring of all the greeks if he now heard of them all crouching under hector often indeed would he lift up his hands to the immortals praying that his soul separated from his limbs might depart into the house of pluto for would o father jove and minerva and apollo i were young as when the assembled pylians and the spear-skilled arcadians fought by the rapid celadon at the walls of phaea about the streams of jardin with them ereuthalion godlike hero stood in the van bearing on his shoulders the armour of king ereuthus of noble ereuthus whom men and beauteous girt women called by surname corinates since he fought not with a bow nor with a long spear but used to break the phalanxes with an iron club him lycurgus slew by stratagem not by strength in a narrow defile where his iron club did not ward off destruction from him for lycurgus anticipating pierced him right through the waist with his spear and he was dashed to the ground on his back and he spoiled him of the armour which brazen mars had given him and he indeed afterwards bore them himself in the battle of mars but when lycurgus had grown old in his palaces he gave them to his beloved attendant ereuthalion to be born and he having his armour challenged all the bravest but these trembled and feared very much nor did any one dare to withstand him but my bold mind by its confidence urged me on to fight him now i was the youngest of them all and i fought with him and minerva gave me glory and i slew this most mighty and valiant hero for vast he lay stretched out on this side and on that would that now i were thus young and my strength entire so quickly should crest-tossing hector meet with a contest but those of you who are the bravest of all the greeks not even you promptly desire to go against hector thus did the old man upbraid them and nine heroes in all arose much the first arose agamemnon the king of men after him arose brave diomede son of tydeus and after them the ajaces clad in impetuous valour after them idomeneus and merionus the armour-bearer of idomeneus equal to manslaughtering mars after them eurypylus the gallant son of evaemon and there also arose thoas son of andramedon and divine ulysses all these wished to fight with noble hector but these again the geranian knight nestor addressed decide now exclusively by lot who shall obtain the accepting of the challenge for he indeed will aid the well-grieved greeks and he will also delight his own soul if he shall escape safe from the hostile war and the grievous fight thus he spoke and they marked each his own lot and they cast them into the helmet of agamemnon the son of atreus the people supplicated 
and raised their hands to the gods and thus would one of them say looking towards the wide heaven o father jove grant that ajax obtain the lot or the son of tydeus or the king himself of rich mycenae thus they spake and the geranian knight nestor shook the lot and the lot of ajax which indeed they wished for leaped forth from the helmet then a herald bearing it around through the multitude beginning at the right showed it to all the chiefs of the greeks but they not recognizing it disclaimed it severally but when at last the herald carrying it round through the multitude came to him illustrious ajax who had inscribed and cast it into the helmet he stretched forth his hand and the herald standing near placed it in it having inspected it he knew his own mark and rejoiced in his soul he cast it on the ground at his feet and said o friends surely the lot is mine and i myself rejoice in my soul since i think that i shall conquer noble hector but come while i put on my warlike arms do ye meantime pray to jove the saturnian king silently within yourselves that the trojans may not hear or even openly since we fear no one at all for no one willingly shall by force overcome me against my will nor through my inexperience since i hope i have not been so ignorantly born and bred at salamis thus he spoke but they prayed to jove the saturnian king and thus would one of them say looking towards the wide heaven o father jove ruling from ida most glorious most mighty grant to ajax to bear away victory and illustrious glory but if thou lovest hector also and carest for him grant equal might and glory to both thus they spake and ajax was arming himself in splendid brass but when he had put on all his armor round his body then he rushed forward as moves mighty mars who goes to war amidst men whom the son of saturn has engaged to fight with the strength of soul-gnawing strife such mighty ajax advanced the bulwark of the greeks smiling with grim countenance but he advanced taking long strides with his feet beneath brandishing his long-shadowed spear the greeks on their part rejoiced much on beholding him but dire dismay seized the trojans each one as to his limbs and the soul panted in the breast of hector himself but now he could not in any wise retract through fear nor retire back into the crowd of the people since he had challenged to the fight but ajax drew near bearing a shield like a tower brazen covered with seven ox-hides which for him the artist tycheus laboring had wrought dwelling at his home in hyla by far the most excellent of leather-cutters who for him had made a movable shield of seven hides of very fat bulls and drawn over it an eighth layer of brass carrying this before his breast telamonian ajax stood very near hector and menacing addressed him o hector now thou alone with me alone shall plainly know what kind of chiefs are present with the greeks even besides achilles the breaker of ranks the lion-hearted but he indeed abides at his high-beaked sea-traversing ships enraged against agamemnon the shepherd of the people yet we are such even many of us who can go against thee but begin the battle and the strife him then in turn the mighty crest-tossing hector addressed thou jove-sprung ajax son of telamon ruler of the forces tamper not with me as with a weak boy or a woman who knows not warlike deeds but i well know both battles and manslaughterings i know how to shift my dry shield to the right and to the left wherefore to me it belongs to tight unwearied 
I am also skilled to rush to the battle of swift steeds, but I know too how in hostile array to move skilfully in honor of glowing Mars, but I do not desire to wound thee, being such, watching stealthily, but openly, if haply, I may strike thee. He spoke, and brandishing hurled forth his long-shadowed spear, and smote the mighty seven-hided shield of Ajax on the outside brass, which was the eighth layer thereon, and the unwearied brass cutting through penetrated six folds and was stuck fast in the seventh hide next the jove sprung ajax in turn sent forth his very long spear and struck the all-equal shield of priam's son through the shining shield passed the impetuous spear and was fastened in his very ingeniously wrought corslet and from the opposite side of the spear cut his tunic near the flank but he inclined himself and avoided black death then they both having drawn out their long spears with their hands joined battle like unto raw devouring lions or wild boars whose strength is not feeble then indeed the son of priam stuck the midst of ajax's shield with his spear it broke not through the brass but the point of it was bent but ajax bounding forward pierced his shield and the spear went right through and repelled him as he rushed on it glanced over his neck cutting it and black gore gushed forth but not even thus did crest-tossing Hector cease from the battle, but retiring back he seized in his hand a black, rough, huge stone lying in the plain. With it he struck the mighty seven-hided shield of Ajax in the midst of the boss, and the brass rang around. Ajax next taking up a much larger stone, whirling, discharged it, and applied immense strength, and he broke through the shield, having struck with a rock like unto a millstone, and he wounded him in the knee, and he was stretched supine, having come into violent contact with his shield. But Apollo quickly raised him, and now in close combat hand to hand they would have wounded each other with their swords, had not the heralds, the messenger of gods and men, arrived, one of the Trojans, the other of the brazen-mailed Greeks, Talthybius and Idaeus, both prudent men, and between both armies they held their sceptres. But the herald Idaeus, skilled in prudent counsels, said, no longer my dear sons war or fight for cloud-collecting jove loves you both ye both are warriors and this we all know night is now approaching and it is good to obey night but him telamonian ajax answering addressed idaeus order hector to speak these words for he challenged all the bravest of our side to battle let him begin and i will entirely obey if he indeed does so but him crest-tossing hector addressed in turn ajax since some god has given thee size and might and prudence and thou art the most excellent of the greeks at the spear let us now cease from battle and contest for this day hereafter will we fight again till the deity shall separate us and give the victory to either now night is approaching and it is good to obey night that thou mayest gladden all the greeks at the ships and chiefly those friends and companions which are thine but I will gladden the Trojans and the train-bearing Trojan matrons through the great city of King Priam, the dames who, praying for me, are entering the deities' temple. But come, let us both mutually give very glorious gifts, that some one of the Greeks and Trojans may say thus, they certainly fought in soul-gnawing strife, but then again, being reconciled, they parted in friendship. Thus then, having spoken, he gave him a silver-studded sword, presenting it with the sheath and the well-wrought belt, but ajax gave to him a belt splendid with purple then they twain being separated the one went to the people of the greeks 
and the other to the crowd of the Trojans. And they rejoiced when they saw him coming alive and safe, having escaped the strength and the invincible hands of Ajax, and led him to the city, not having had any hopes that he was safe. But the well-grieved Greeks, on the other hand, led away Ajax, rejoicing in victory to divine Agamemnon. When now they were in the tents of the son of Atreus, then Agamemnon, king of men, sacrificed for them an ox, a male five years old, to the most powerful son of Saturn. This they flayed and dressed it, made divisions of the whole of it, and skilfully divided these into smaller portions, and fixed on them spits, and roasted them very cleverly, and drew off all. But when they had ceased from labor, and had prepared the banquet, they feasted, nor did their soul in any wise lack a due proportion of the feast. The valiant son of Atreus, far-ruling Agamemnon, honored Ajax with an entire chine, but when they had dismissed the desire of drink and of food, for them the aged man Nestor first of all began to frame advice, whose counsel before also had appeared the best, who, wisely counseling, harangued them and said, Son of Atreus, and ye other chiefs of all the Greeks, many of the long-haired Achaeans have perished, whose black blood fierce Mars has now shed near fair-flowing Scamander, and their souls have descended to the shades. Therefore it behooves you to cause the battle of the Greeks to cease with the dawn, and let us collected together carry the bodies hither on chariots, with oxen and mules, and burn them at a little distance from the ships, that each may carry home the bones of the deceased to their children, when we return again to our fatherland. And let us going out heap up in the plain one common tomb for all, round the pyre, and beside it let us speedily erect lofty towers as a bulwark of our ships and of ourselves. And in it let us make a well-fitted gate, that through it there may be a passage for the chariots. But outside let us sink near at hand a deep trench, which, being circular, may serve as a defence to both steeds and men, lest at any time the war of the haughty Trojans should press sorely. Thus he spoke, and all the princes approved of his counsel. But of the Trojans also was a panic struck, and turbulent counsel held in the lofty citadel of Ilium, at the gates of Priam. And to them wise Antenor thus began to harangue, Hear me, ye Trojans and Dardanians and allies, that I may tell you what the soul in my breast commands me. Come then, let us restore Argive Helen and her treasures with her to the sons of Atreus to lead away, for now we are fighting after having violated the faithful leagues, wherefore I think that nothing better will be brought to pass by us, unless we act thus. He, having thus said, sat down, but to them arose divine Alexander, the husband of fair-haired Helen, who answering him spoke winged words, O Antenor, thou no longer speakest these things grateful to me, thou knowest how to devise another counsel better than this, but if in truth thou speakest this seriously, the gods themselves have now deprived thee of thy senses, but I will declare my opinion amidst the horse-subduing Trojans, I openly declare I will not give up my wife, but the treasures, whatever I have brought home from Argos, all these I am willing to give, and even to add others from my own home. Thus having spoken, he sat down. But to them arose Priam, son of Dardanus, a counsellor equal to the gods, who thus wisely harangued them, and said, Hear me, ye Trojans and Dardanians and allies, that I may tell you what the soul in my breast commands. Now take repast through the army as heretofore, and be attentive to the watch, and let each be mindful of guard, 
and in the morning let Edeus proceed to the hollow ships to announce to the sons of atreus agamemnon and menelaus the resolution of alexander on whose account the contention has arisen and let him add this prudent request also whether they wish to desist from horrid-sounding war until we burn the dead afterwards will we fight again till fate separate us and give the victory to one or other of us thus he said but they heard him very attentively and obeyed then they took their repast throughout the city by companies in the morning Adeus went to the hollow ships he found the greeks the servants of mars in council at the stern of agamemnon's ship and the clear-voiced herald standing in the midst of them spoke thus ye sons of atreus and ye other chiefs of all the greeks priam and the other illustrious trojans command me to tell you if it be agreeable and pleasing to you the determination of alexander on whose account this contention has risen whatever treasures alexander brought in the hollow ships to troy would that he first had perished all these is he willing to give up and even to add others from his own home but he says that he will not restore the wedded spouse of glorious menelaus certainly the trojans at least advise him they also order me to make this proposal to wit whether ye are willing to desist from dreadful sounding war until we shall burn the dead afterwards we shall fight again till fate separate us and give the victory to one of us thus he said but they all became mute in silence at length thyomede brave in the din of war spoke thus amongst them let none now receive the treasures of alexander nor helen for it is plain even to him who is a mere infant that the issues of destruction impend over the trojans thus he said and all the sons of the greeks shouted admiring the words of horse-breaking diomede and then agamemnon king of men thus addressed idaeus idaeus thou thyself hearest indeed the sentiments of the greeks how they answer thee and such also pleases me but concerning the dead i grudge not that you should burn them for there is no grudge towards the dead bodies when they are dead hastily to perform their obsequies with fire but let loud resounding jove the husband of juno be witness of the treaties thus having said he raised his sceptre to all the gods but Adeus returned to sacred ilium and the trojans and dardanians all sat assembled in council expecting when Adeus might return he came and declared his message standing in the midst of them but they prepared themselves very speedily for both purposes some to carry away the bodies and others to gather wood the greeks also on the other side hastened from their well-benched ships some to carry away the bodies and others to collect wood then indeed the sun freshly struck the fields with its rays ascending heaven from the calmly flowing deep moving ocean but they met one another then was it difficult to distinguish each man amongst the slain but washing off with water the bloody gore and pouring over them warm tears they placed them upon the chariot nor did mighty priam suffer them to give way to grief in silence therefore they heaped the bodies on the pile grieving at heart but when they had burned them in the fire they returned to sacred ilium in like manner also on the other side the well-grieved greeks heaped the bodies on the pile grieving in their heart and having burned them with fire they returned to the hollow ships and when it was not yet morning but still twilight then a chosen band of greeks arose about the pile and going out from the plain they made around it one common tomb 
and near it they built a wall and lofty towers a bulwark for their ships and of themselves in them they made well-fitted gates that through them there might be a passage for the chariots without they dug a deep ditch near it broad and large and in it fixed palisades thus the long-haired greeks on their part labored but the gods on the contrary sitting beside a thundering jove were admiring the mighty work of the brazen-mailed greeks but to them neptune the earth-shaker thus began to speak o father jove is there any mortal on the boundless earth who will any more disclose his mind and counsel to the immortals dost thou not perceive how the long-haired greeks have built a wall before their shipping and have drawn a ditch all around nor have they given up splendid hecatombs to the gods the fame of this work will certainly be wherever light is diffused but they will forget that wall which i and phoebus apollo toiling built round the city for the hero laomedon him greatly enraged the cloud-compelling jove addressed ha thou far-ruling earth-shaker what hast thou said another of the gods who is much weaker than thou in hands and in might might have dreaded this idea but thy glory shall assuredly extend as far as light is diffused how be it when the crest-waving greeks shall have departed with their ships into their dear fatherland do thou overthrowing this wall sink it all in the deep and again cover the great shore with sand thus may this mighty rampart of the greeks be wholly effaced thus were they conversing on such matters among themselves but the sun had set and the work of the greeks was finished they slaughtered oxen through the tents and took their repast many ships which aeunius the son of jason whom hypsipyle bore to jason shepherd of the people sent arrived from lemnus bringing wine the son of jason gave of wine a thousand measures to be brought separately as a gift to the sons of atreus agamemnon and menelaus thence the long-haired greeks bought wine some for brass some for shining iron others for hides some for the oxen themselves and some for slaves and they prepared an abundant feast through the whole night indeed the long-haired greeks feasted and the trojans too and their allies through the city and all night thundering fearfully provident jove was devising evils for both parties but pale fear seized them and they poured wine from their cups on the earth nor did any one dare to drink before he had made a libation to the supreme son of saturn they then lay down and enjoyed the boon of sleep End of Book the Seventh Read by Stephen Carney Section Eight Book the Eighth of the Iliad of Homer This Liberbox recording is in the public domain Recording by Stephen Carney The Iliad of Homer by Homer Translated by Theodore Alois Buckley Section 8. Book the Eighth. Argument. Jove assembles the gods, and forbids them to interfere between the Greeks and Trojans. He then repairs to Ida, where, having consulted the scales of destiny, he directs his lightning against the Greeks. Nestor, in the chariot of Diomede, goes against Hector, whose charioteer is slain by Diomede. Jove again interposes his thunders, and the Greeks seek refuge within the rampart upon a favorable omen accompanying the prayer of agamemnon diomede and the rest set out and teucer performs great exploits but is disabled by hector juno and minerva are prevented interfering by jove and hector takes measures to ensure the safety of troy during the night 
Now did saffron-mantled morn diffuse herself over all the earth, and thunder-rejoicing Jove made an assembly of the gods on the highest peak of many-topped Olympus, and he himself harangued them, and all the other deities hearkened to his command. Hear me, all ye gods and all ye goddesses, that I may tell you what the soul in my breast prompts me. Let no female deity, therefore, nor any male, attempt to infringe this my injunction. But do ye all at once assent, that I may very speedily bring these matters to their issue. Whomsoever of the gods I shall discover, having gone apart from the rest, wishing to aid either the Trojans or the Greeks, disgracefully smitten shall he return to Olympus, or seizing I will hurl him into gloomy Tartarus, very far hence, where there is a very deep gulf beneath the earth, and iron portals, and a brazen threshold, as far below Hades as heaven is from earth. Then shall he know by how much I am the most powerful of all the gods. But come, ye gods, and try me, that ye may all know. Having suspended a golden chain from heaven, do all ye gods and goddesses suspend yourselves therefrom. Yet would ye not draw down from heaven to earth your supreme counsellor Jove, not even if ye labour ever so much. But whenever I, desiring, should wish to pull it, I could draw it up together, earth and ocean and all. Then, indeed, would I bind the chain around the top of Olympus, and all these should hang aloft. By so much do I surpass both gods and men. Thus he said, but they all became mute in silence, wondering at his speech, for he spoke very menacingly. But at length the azure-eyed goddess Minerva thus spoke in the midst. O sire of ours, son of Saturn, most supreme of kings, well do we all know that thy strength is irresistible. Yet do we truly mourn for the warlike Greeks, who are now perishing, fulfilling their evil fate. But nevertheless we will refrain from war, since thus thou commandest. Yet will we suggest counsel to the Greeks, which will avail them, that they may not all perish because thou art wrathful. But her, the cloud-impelling Jove, smiling, addressed, Be of good cheer, Tritonia, my dear daughter. I speak not with a serious intent, but I am willing to be lenient towards thee. Thus having said, under his chariot he yoked his brazen-footed swift-flying steeds, adorned with golden manes. He himself put on gold about his person, and took his golden well-made whip, and ascended the chariot, and lashed them on to proceed, and they, not unwilling, flew midway between the earth and starry heaven. He came to spring-fed Ida, the mother of wild beasts, to Gargarus, where he had a consecrated enclosure and a fragrant altar. There the father of gods and men stopped his steeds, having loosed them from the chariot, and poured a thick haze around, but he sat upon the summits, exulting in glory, looking upon the city of the Trojans and the ships of the Greeks. Meanwhile the long-haired Greeks were taking their repast in a hurried manner through the tents, and after that they put on their armor. But the Trojans on the other side were arming themselves through the city, fewer in number, yet even thus they were eager to fight in battle, compelled by necessity in defense of their children and their wives and the gates were open wide, and the forces rushed out, both chariot-warriors and foot, and much tumult arose. But when these collecting together came into one place, they clashed together shields and spears, and the might of brazen-mailed men, but the bossy shields approached one another, and much tumult arose. There at the same time were both lamentation and boasting of men destroying and destroyed, and the earth flowed with blood. 
as long as the forenoon lasted and the sacred day was in progress so long did the weapons touch both and the people fell but when the sun had ascended the middle heaven then at length did father jove raise the golden scales and placed in them two destinies of long reposing death the destinies both of the horse-breaking trojans and of the brazen-mailed greeks and holding them in the middle he poised them but the fatal day of the greeks inclined low the destinies of the greeks indeed rested on the bounteous earth but those of the trojans on the contrary were elevated to the wide heaven but he himself mightily thundered from ida and sent his burning lightning against the army of the greeks they having seen it were amazed and pale fear seized them all then neither idomeneus nor agamemnon nor the two ajaces the servants of mars dared to remain gerenian nestor alone the guardian of the greeks remained not willingly but one of his horses was disabled which noble alexander husband of fair-haired helen had pierced with an arrow in the top of the forehead where the forelocks of horses grow out of the head and is most fatal in torture he reared for the arrow had entered the brain and he disordered the other horses writhing round the brazen barb whilst the old man hastening was cutting away the side reins of the horse with his sword then were the swift steeds of hector coming through the crowd bearing the bold charioteer hector and then the old man would certainly have lost his life if diomede brave in the din of battle had not quickly observed it and he shouted dreadfully exhorting ulysses thus jove-born son of laertes much contriving ulysses whither dost thou fly turning thy back in the throng like a coward beware lest some man with a spear transpierce thee in the back flying but stay that we may repel the fierce hero from the aged man thus he spoke but much enduring noble ulysses heard him not but passed by to the hollow ships of the greeks but the son of tydeus though being alone was mixed with the van and stood before the steeds of the aged son of neleus and addressing him spoke winged words o old man certainly the youthful warriors greatly oppress thee but thy strength is relaxed and tiresome old age attends thee thy servant is exhausted and thy steeds are slow but come ascend my chariot that thou mayest see what kind are the steeds of tros skilled to fly and to pursue very rapidly here and there through the plain which lately i took from aeneas authors of flight let the attendants take care of these steeds of thine but let us direct these against the horse-breaking trojans that even hector may know whether my spear also rages madly in my hands thus he said but the gerenian knight nestor disobeyed him not accordingly at once their attendants brave sothenelus and valorous eurymedon took care of nestor's steeds and the two chiefs ascended the chariot of diomede nestor took the shining reins in his hands and lashed the steeds and soon they came near hector at him rushing impetuously forward the son of tydeus launched a spear but the weapon missed him and struck his attendant charioteer in the breast near the pap who was holding the reins of the steeds eniopius the son of magnanimous thebaeus but he fell from the chariot and the swift steeds started back and there his soul and his strength were dissolved but excessive grief overshadowed hector in his mind on account of the loss of his charioteer there though grieving for his companion he let him lie and sought a bold charioteer nor did his steeds long want a guide for soon he found courageous archiptolemus the son of iphitus whom then he made to mount the swift-footed steeds and gave the reins into his hands then indeed had slaughter arisen and dreadful deeds had been done 
and the Trojans had been pent up in Ilium like lambs, had not the father of both men and gods quickly perceived it. Therefore, dreadfully thundering, he sent forth his glowing thunderbolt, and cast it into the earth before the steeds of Diomede. But there arose a terrible flame of burning sulphur, and the two frightened steeds crouched trembling beneath the chariot. Moreover, the beautiful reins fell from the hands of Nestor, and he feared in his soul, and addressed Diomede. Son of Tydeus, come now, turn thy solid-hooved steeds to flight. Dost thou not perceive that victory from Jove does not attend thee? For now this very day of a truth Saturnian Jove awards him glory. Afterwards again will he give it to us, if he shall be willing. By no means can a man impede the will of Jove, not even a very mighty one, since he is by far the most powerful. But him, Diomede, brave in the din of war, then answered, Old man, certainly thou hast said all this rightly, but this grievous sorrow invades my heart and my soul. For Hector at some time will say, haranguing amongst the Trojans, the son of Tydeus routed by me fled to his ships. Thus at some time will he boast, but then may the earth yawn wide for me. But him the Gerenian knight Nestor then answered, Alas, warlike son of Tydeus, what hast thou said? Even though Hector called thee coward and unwarlike, yet the Trojans and Dardanians and the wives of the stout-hearted shield-bearing Trojans, whose vigorous husbands thou hast prostrated in the dust, will not believe him. Thus having said, he turned the solid-hooved steeds to flight, back into the crowd. But the Trojans and Hector, with a mighty shout, poured destructive missiles upon them, and then after him loud-roared mighty crest-tossing Hector. Son of Tydeus, the swift-horsed Greeks honoured thee indeed above others with a seat, with meat and full cups. But now will they dishonour thee, for thou hast become like a woman. Away, timorous girl, since thou shalt never climb our towers, I giving way, nor bear away our women in thy ships, first shall I give thee thy doom. Thus he said, but the son of Tydeus debated whether to turn his steeds and to fight against him. Thrice, indeed, he thought in mind and soul, but thrice, on the other hand, the provident Jove thundered from the Idaean mountains, giving a signal to the Trojans, the alternating success of battle. But Hector exhorted the Trojans, vociferating aloud, Ye Trojans and Lycians, and close-fighting Dardanians, be men, my friends, and be mindful of impetuous might. I know the son of Saturn hath willingly accorded me victory and great renown, but to the Greeks' destruction." Fools who indeed built those weak, worthless walls, which shall not check my strength, but our steeds will easily overleap the dug trench. But when indeed I come to their hollow ships, then let there be some memory of burning fire, that I may consume their fleet with the flame, and slay the Argives themselves at the ships, bewildered by the smoke. Thus having spoken, he cheered on his steeds, and said, Xanthus, and thou, Podargus, and Athon, and noble Lampus, now repay to me the attention with which in great abundance Andromache, the daughter of magnanimous Aetion, gave to you the sweet barley, mixing wine also for you to drink, whenever your mind ordered it, even before me, who boast to be her vigorous husband. But follow and hasten, that we may take the shield of Nestor, the fame of which has now reached the heaven, that it is entirely golden, the handles and itself. But from the shoulders of the horse-breaking Diomede, the well-made corslet, which the artist Vulcan wrought. If we can take these, I expect that the Greeks this very night will ascend their swift ships. Thus he said boasting, but venerable Juno was indignant, 
and shook herself on her throne and made great olympus tremble and openly accosted the mighty deity neptune alas far-ruling earth-shaker dost thou not in thy soul pity the perishing greeks but they bring thee many and grateful gifts to helice and aegea do thou therefore will to them the victory for if we were willing and as many of us as are assistants to the greeks to repulse the trojans and restrain far-sounding jove then might he grieve sitting alone there on ida but her king neptune greatly excited thus addressed juno petulant in speech what hast thou said i would not wish indeed that we the other gods should fight with saturnian jove since he is by far most powerful since he is by far most powerful thus indeed were they holding such converse with each other but whatever space before the ships the trench belonging to the tower enclosed was filled with horses and shielded men crowded together but hector the son of priam equal to swift mars had crowded them thus when jupiter awarded him glory and now would he have burned the equal ships with blazing fire had not venerable juno put it through the soul of agamemnon himself actively engaged briskly to urge on the greeks he therefore hastened to go along the tents and ships of the greeks holding in his stout hand his great purple robe but in the huge black ship of ulysses he stood which was in the midst that he might shout audibly to either side as well to the tent of telamonian ajax as to that of achilles for they had drawn up their equal ships at the extremities of the line relying on their valour and the strength of their hands then he shouted distinctly calling upon the greeks shame ye greeks foul subjects of disgrace gallant in form alone where are those boastings gone when we professed ourselves the bravest those which once in lemnus vain braggarts ye did utter eating much flesh of horned oxen and drinking goblets crowned with wine that each would in battle be equivalent to a hundred and even two hundred of the trojans but now indeed we are not equal to hector alone who shortly will burn our ships with flaming fire o father jove hast thou indeed ever yet afflicted with such destruction any one of mighty kings and so deprived him of high renown and yet i say that i never passed by thy fair altar in my many benched ships coming here with ill luck but on all i burn the fat of oxen and the thighs desiring to sack well-walled troy but o jove accomplish for me this vow at least permit us to escape and get away nor suffer the greeks to be thus subdued by the trojans thus he said and the sire pitied him weeping and granted to him that the army should be safe and not perish and forthwith he sent an eagle the most perfect of birds holding a fawn in his talons the offspring of a swift deer and near the very beauteous altar of jove he cast down the fawn where the greeks were sacrificing to panamphian jove when therefore they saw that the bird had come from jove they rushed the more against the trojans and were mindful of battle then none of the greeks numerous as they were could have boasted that he had driven his swift steeds before diomede and urged them beyond the ditch and fought against the enemy for far the first he slew a helmeted trojan hero agelaus son of phradmon he indeed was turning his horses for the flight but as he was turning diomede fixed his spear in his back between the shoulders and drove it through his breast he fell from his chariot and his arms rattled upon him after him the sons of atreus agamemnon and menelaus after them the ajaces clad in impetuous valour after them idomeneus and meriones the armour-bearer of idomeneus equal to manslaughtering mars and after them eurypylus the illustrious son of evaemon 
Teucer came the ninth, stretching his bent bow, and stood under the shield of Telamonian Ajax. Then Ajax indeed kept moving the shield aside, and the hero looking around, when shooting, he had hit any one in the crowd, the one falling there, lost his life. But he, retiring like a child to his mother, sheltered himself beneath Ajax, and he covered him with his splendid shield. Then what Trojan first did blameless Teucer slay, or Seleucus first, and then Ormenus, and Ophelestes, and Dator, and Chromius, and godlike Lycophontes, and Amopaeon, son of Polyamon, and Menelippus, all, one after the other, he stretched upon the bounteous earth. But Agamemnon, king of men, rejoiced at seeing him destroying the phalanxes of the Trojans with his stout bow, and advancing near him he stood, and thus addressed him, Teucer, beloved one, son of Telamon, ruler of forces, shoot thus, if perchance thou mayest become a light unto the Greeks, and to thy father Telamon, who brought thee up carefully, being a little one, and treated thee with care in his palace, though being a spurious son. Him, though far away, do thou exult with glory, but I will declare to thee, as it shall be brought to pass, if aegis-bearing Jove and Minerva shall grant me to sack the well-built city of Ilium, next to myself i will place an honourable reward in thy hands either a tripod or two steeds with their chariot or some fair one who may ascend the same couch with thee but him blameless teucer answering addressed most glorious son of atreus why dost thou urge on me hastening nor as far as i have any strength do i loiter but from the time we have driven the trojans toward ilium since that period have i slain men intercepting them with my shafts already have i discharged eight long-bearded arrows and they have all been fixed in the bodies of warlike youths but i cannot strike this raging dog he said and another arrow from the string he shot right against hector for his mind was eager to strike him and him indeed he missed but in the breast he struck blameless gurgithion with an arrow the brave son of priam him his fair mother castianira like unto a goddess in person brought forth being wedded from Asima and as a poppy which in the garden is weighed down with fruit and vernal showers droops its head to one side so did his head incline aside depressed by the helmet but teucer discharged another arrow from the string against hector for his mind longed to strike him yet even then he missed for apollo warded off the shaft but he struck in the breast near the pap archiptolemus the bold charioteer of hector rushing to battle and he fell from his chariot and his swift steed sprang back there his soul and strength were dissolved but sad grief darkened the mind of hector on account of his charioteer then indeed he left him although grieved for his companion and ordered his brother cibriones being near to take the reins of the steeds but he was not disobedient having heard him then hector himself leaped from his all-shining chariot to the ground roaring dreadfully and he seized a large stone in his hand and went straight against teucer for his mind encouraged him to strike him he on his part took out a bitter arrow from his quiver and applied it to the string but him on the other hand near the shoulder where the collar-bone separates the neck and breast and it is a particularly fatal spot there as he was drawing back the bow the active warrior hector with a rugged stone struck him earnestly rushing against him he broke his bowstring and his hand was numbed at the wrist joint falling on his knees he stood and the bow dropped from his hands but ajax did not neglect his fallen brother for running up he protected him and stretched his shield before him 
afterwards his two dear companions mesistheus son of achaeus and noble elastor coming up carried him groaning heavily to the hollow ships but again did olympian jove rouse the strength of the trojans and they drove back the greeks straight to the deep fosse but hector went in the van looking grimly through ferocity as when some dog relying on his swift feet seizes from the rear a wild boar or lion on the haunch and buttocks and marks him as he turns so hector hung on the rear of the long-haired greeks always slaying the hindmost and they fled but when they flying had passed through the stakes and the fosse and many were subdued beneath the hands of the trojans they on the other hand remaining at the ships were restrained and having exhorted one another and raised their hands to all the gods they prayed each with a loud voice but on the other hand hector having the eyes of a gorgon or of manslaughtering mars drove round his beauteous maned steeds in all directions but them the greeks white-armed goddess juno having beheld pitied them and thus straightway to minerva addressed winged words alas daughter of aegis-bearing jove shall we no longer be anxious about the perishing greeks although in extremity who now indeed fulfilling evil fate are perishing by the violence of one man for hector the son of priam rages no longer to be endured and already has he done many evils but her the azure-eyed goddess minerva in turn addressed and beyond doubt this warrior would have lost his vigour and his life destroyed by the hands of the greeks in his fatherland were it not that this my sire rages with no sound mind cruel ever unjust a counteractor of my efforts nor does he remember aught of my services that i have very often preserved his son when oppressed by the labours of eurystheus he truly wept to heaven but me jove sent down from heaven to aid him but had i known this in my prudent mind when he sent me to the dwelling of the gaoler pluto to drag from erebus the dog of hateful pluto he had not escaped the profound stream of the stygian wave but now indeed he hates me and prefers the wish of thetis who kissed his knees and took his beard in her hand beseeching him to honour city-destroying achilles the time will be when he will again call me his dear minerva but do thou now harness for us thy solid-hooved steeds while i having entered the palace of aegis-bearing jove equip myself with arms for war that i may see whether crest-tossing hector the son of priam will rejoice at us as i appear in the walks of war certainly also some one of the trojans will satiate the dogs and the birds with his fat and flesh having fallen at the ships of the greeks thus she said nor did the white-armed goddess juno disobey her juno on her part venerable goddess daughter of mighty saturn running in haste caparisoned the golden bridled steeds but minerva the daughter of aegis-bearing jove let fall upon the pavement of her father her beauteous variegated robe which she had wrought and laboured with her own hands but she having put on the coat of mail and cloud-compelling jove was equipped in armour for the tearful war she mounted her flaming chariot on her feet and took her heavy huge sturdy spear with which she is wont to subdue the ranks of heroic men with whomsoever she sprung from a powerful sire is enraged but juno with a lash speedily urged on the steeds the portals of heaven opened spontaneously which the hours guarded to whom are entrusted the great heaven and olympus either to open the dense cloud or to close it then through these they guided their goaded steeds but father jove when he beheld them from ida was grievously enraged and roused golden-winged iris to bear this message 
away depart swift iris turn them back nor suffer them to come against me for we shall not advantageously engage in battle for thus i speak and it shall moreover be accomplished i will lame their swift steeds under their chariot dislodge them from the chariot and break the chariot nor for ten revolving years shall ye be healed of the wounds which the thunderbolt shall inflict that minerva may know when she may be fighting with her sire but with juno i am neither so indignant nor so angry for she is ever accustomed to counteract me in whatever i intend thus he said but iris swift as the storm hastened to bear the message down from the idsean mountains she went to great olympus meeting them in the foremost gates of the many-valleyed olympus she restrained them and pronounced to them the message of jove where do ye go where does your soul rage in your breasts the son of saturn does not suffer you to aid the greeks for thus has the son of saturn threatened and he will assuredly perform it to lament your swift steeds under your chariot and dislodge yourselves from the chariot and break the chariot nor for ten revolving years shall ye be healed of the wounds which his thunderbolt shall inflict that thou o azured eyed mayest know when thou art fighting with thy sire but with juno he is neither so indignant nor so angry for she is always accustomed to counteract him in whatever he devises but thou most insolent and audacious hound if thou in reality shalt dare to raise thy mighty spear against jove thus indeed having said swift-footed iris departed then juno addressed these words to minerva alas daughter of aegis-bearing jove i cannot any longer suffer that we ourselves shall fight against jove on account of mortals of whom let one perish and let another live whoever may chance but let him meditating his own affairs in his mind adjudicate to the trojans and the greeks as is fair thus then having said she turned back to the solid hooved steeds the hours unyoked for them the fair-maned steeds and bound them to the ambrosial mangers but they tilted the chariots against the splendid walls but they themselves sat mingled with the other deities on their golden couches sad at heart then father jove drove his beauteous wheeled chariot and steeds from ida to olympus and came to the seat of the gods his horses indeed the illustrious earth-shaker loosed but he laid the chariot on its own support spreading a linen coverlet over it but loud-sounding jove himself sat on his golden throne and mighty olympus was shaken under his feet but minerva and jove by themselves sat apart from jove nor did they at all address him nor question him but he knew in his mind and said why are ye so sad minerva and juno indeed ye have not laboured long in glorious battle to destroy the trojans against whom ye have taken grievous hatred not all the gods in olympus could altogether turn me to flight such are my strength and my invincible hands but trembling seized the shining limbs of both of you before ye saw battle and the destructive deeds of war for so i tell you which would also have been performed no more should ye stricken with my thunder have returned in your chariots to olympus where are the seats of the immortals thus he said but minerva and juno murmured they sat near each other and were devising evils for the trojans minerva indeed was silent nor said anything angry with father jove for wild rage possessed her but juno contained not her wrath in her breast but addressed him most terrible son of saturn what hast thou said well do we know that thy might is invincible yet do we lament the warlike greeks who will now perish fulfilling their evil destiny 
but nevertheless we will desist from war if thou desirest but we will suggest counsel to the greeks which will avail them that they may not all perish thou being wrathful but her cloud-compelling jove answering addressed to-morrow if thou wilt o venerable large-eyed juno thou shalt behold the very powerful son of saturn even with greater havoc destroying the mighty army of the warlike greeks for warlike hector will not cease from battle before that he arouse the swift-footed son of peleus at the ships on that day when they indeed are fighting at the ships in a very narrow pass for patroclus fallen for thus it is fated but i do not make account of thee enraged not if thou shouldst go to the furthest limits of land and ocean where iapetus and saturn sitting are delighted neither with the splendour of the sun that journeys on high nor with the winds but profound tartarus is all around not even if wandering but thou shouldst go there have i regard for thee enraged since there is nothing more impudent than thou thus he said but white-armed juno answered not and the bright light of the sun fell into the ocean drawing dark night over the fruitful earth the light set to the trojans indeed unwilling but gloomy and much desired light came on grateful to the greeks but illustrious hector then formed a council of the trojans having led them apart from the ships at the eddying river in a clear space where the place appeared free from dead bodies but alighting to the ground from their horses they listened to the speech which hector beloved of jove uttered in his hand he held a spear of eleven cubits and before him shone the golden point of the spear and a golden ring surrounded it leaning on this he spoke winged words hear me ye trojans and dardanians and allies i lately thought that having destroyed the ships and all the greeks i should return back to wind-swept ilium but darkness has come on first which has now been the chief means of preserving the greeks and their ships on the shore of the sea but however let us now obey dark night and make ready our repasts and do ye loose from your chariots your beautiful maned steeds and set fodder before them and quickly bring from the city oxen and fat sheep bring sweet wine and bread from your homes and besides collect many faggots that all night till aurora mother of dawn we may kindle many fires and the splendour may ascend to heaven lest haply in the night the long-haired greeks attempt to fly over the broad ridge of the ocean that they may not at all events without toil and without harm ascend their ships but let us take care that each of them may have to heal a wound at home being stricken either with an arrow or with a sharp spear bounding into his ship that every other too may dread to wage tearful war against the horse-breaking trojans let the heralds dear to jove proclaim through the city that the youths at the age of puberty and the hoary-templed sages keep watch around the city in the god-built turrets and let the females also the feebler sex in their halls each kindle a mighty fire and let there be some strong guard lest a secret band enter the city the people being absent thus let it be magnanimous trojans as i say and let the speech which is now most salutary be thus spoken but for that which will be most expedient in the morning i will then speak amongst the horse-breaking trojans making vows both to jove and to the other gods i hope to banish hence those dogs borne hither by the fates whom the fates bear in their black ships but let us keep watch during the night and in the morning at dawn equipped with arms let us stir up sharp conflict at the hollow ships 
I will see whether valiant Diomede, the son of Tydeus, will force me back from the ships to our walls, or whether I shall bear away his bloody spoils, having slain him with my brazen spear. To-morrow shall he make manifest his valour, if he shall withstand my assaulting spear, but I think that he will lie wounded amongst the first at sunrise to-morrow, and many companions around him. Would that I were so certainly immortal, and free from old age all my days, and honoured as Minerva and Apollo are honoured, as I am certain that this day will bring evil upon the Greeks. Thus Hector harangued them, but the Trojans applauded loud, and they loosed from the yoke their sweating steeds, and bound them with halters, each to his own chariot, quickly they brought from the city oxen and fat sheep and they brought sweet wine and bread from their homes and also collected many faggots but the winds raised the savour from the plain to heaven but they greatly elated sat all night in the ranks of war and many fires blazed for them as when in heaven the stars appear very conspicuous around the lucid moon when the ether is wont to be without a breeze and all the pointed rocks and lofty summits and groves appear but in heaven the immense ether is disclosed and all the stars are seen and the shepherd rejoices in his soul thus did many fires of the trojans kindling them appear before ilium between the ships and the streams of xanthus a thousand fires blazed in the plain and by each sat fifty men at the light of the blazing fire but their steeds eating white barley and oats standing by the chariots awaited beautiful throned aurora end of book the eighth Read by Stephen Carney. Section 9, Book the Ninth of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer. Translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 9. Book the Ninth. Argument. By advice of Nestor, Agamemnon sends Ulysses, Phoenix, and Ajax to the tent of Achilles to sue for a reconciliation. Notwithstanding the earnest appeal of Phoenix, their errand proves fruitless. Thus the Trojans indeed kept guard, but a mighty flight, the companion of chill fear, seized upon the Greeks, and all the chiefs were afflicted with intolerable grief and as two winds the north and south which both blow from thrace rouse the fishy deep coming suddenly upon it but the black billows are elevated together and they dash much seaweed out of the ocean so was the mind of the greeks distracted within their bosoms but atrides wounded to the heart with great sorrow kept going round giving orders to the clear-voiced heralds to summon each man by name to an assembly but not to call aloud and he himself toiled among the first and they sat in council grieved and agamemnon arose shedding tears like a black water fountain which pours its gloomy stream from a lofty rock thus he deeply sighing spoke words to the greeks o friends leaders and chieftains over the greeks jove the son of saturn has greatly entangled me in a grievous calamity cruel who once promised me and assented that i should return having destroyed well-built ilium but now has he plotted an evil fraud and orders me to return inglorious to argos after i have lost much people thus doubtless will it be agreeable to almighty jove who has already overthrown the heights of many cities 
and will still overthrow them, for his power is greatest. But come, let us all obey as I advise. Let us fly with the ships to our dear fatherland, for now we shall not take wide-wayed Troy. Thus he spoke, but they were all still in silence, and the sons of the Greeks being sad, kept silent long. At length Diomede, brave in the din of battle, spoke, Son of Atreus, thee will I first oppose, speaking inconsiderately, as is lawful in the assembly. But be not thou the least offended. First among the Greeks didst thou disparage my valour, saying that I was unwarlike and weak, and all this as well the young as the old of the Greeks know. One of the two things hath the son of crafty Saturn given thee. He has granted that thou shouldst be honoured by the sceptre above all, but valour hath he not given thee, which is the greatest strength. Strange man, dost thou then certainly think that the sons of the Greeks are unwarlike and weak, as thou sayest? If indeed thy mind impels thee, that thou shouldst return, go. The way lies open to thee, and thy ships stand near the sea, which very many followed thee from Mycenae. But the other long-haired Greeks will remain until we overthrow Troy. But if they also choose, let them fly with their ships to their dear fatherland but we twain i and sathenelus will fight unless we find an end of troy for under the auspices of the deity we came thus he spoke but all the sons of the greeks applauded admiring the speech of steed-breaking diomede but then the knight nestor rising up addressed son of tydeus pre-eminently indeed art thou brave in battle and the best in counsel amongst all thine equals. No one has censured thy discourse, nor contradicts it, as many as are the Greeks. But thou comest not to an end of discussion. Assuredly thou art youthful, and mightst be my youngest son for age. Yet thou speakest prudent words to the kings of the Greeks, for thou hast said aright. But come, I who boast to be older than thou will speak out, and discuss everything nor will any one not even king agamemnon disregard my speech tribeless lawless homeless is he who loves horrid civil war but now however let us obey dark night and make ready suppers but let the respective guards lie down beside the trench dug without the wall to the youth indeed i enjoin these things but next atreides do thou begin for thou art supreme give a banquet to the elders it becomes thee and is not unseemly full are thy tents of wine which the ships of the greeks daily bring over the wide sea from thrace thou hast every accommodation and rulest over many people but when many are assembled do thou obey him who shall give the best advice for there is great need of good and prudent advice to all the greeks since the enemy are burning many fires near the ships and who can rejoice at these things but this night will either ruin the army or preserve it thus he spoke and they heard him very attentively and obeyed but the guards rushed forward with their arms those around thrasymedes the son of nestor the shepherd of the people ascalaphus and ialmenus sons of mars merionus aphareus and Depyrus, as well as the sons of creon noble lycomedes these were seven leaders of the guards and a hundred youths marched along with each, holding long spears in their hands. Proceeding to the space between the trench and the wall, there they sat down, 
and there kindled a fire and prepared each his supper but atreides conducted the assembled elders of the greeks to his tent and set before them a strength recruiting banquet and they laid their hands upon the viands placed before them but when they had dismissed the desire of eating and drinking to them first of all did aged nestor whose advice had previously appeared best begin to interweave advice who wisely counselling addressed them and said most glorious atreides king of men agamemnon with thee shall i end and with thee shall i commence since thou art a king of many nations and jove hath placed in thine hands both a sceptre and laws that thou mayest consult for their advantage therefore is it necessary that thou in particular shouldst deliver and hear an opinion and also accomplish that of another when his mind urges any one to speak for the public good but on thee will depend whatever it takes the lead yet will i speak as appears to me to be best for no other person will propound a better opinion than that which i meditate both of old and also now from that period when thou o nobly born didst depart carrying off the maid briseis from the tent of the enraged achilles by no means according to my judgment for i very strenuously dissuaded thee from it but having yielded to thy haughty temper thou didst dishonour the bravest hero whom even the immortals have honoured for taking away his reward thou still retainest it yet even now let us deliberate how we may succeed in persuading him appeasing him with agreeable gifts and soothing words but him the king of men agamemnon again addressed old man thou hast not falsely enumerated my errors i have erred nor do i myself deny it that man indeed is equivalent to many troops whom jove loves in his heart as now he hath honoured this man and subdued the people of the greeks but since i erred having yielded to my wayward disposition i desire again to appease him and to give him invaluable presents before you all will i enumerate the distinguished gifts seven tripods untouched by fire and ten talents of gold and twenty shining cauldrons and twelve stout steeds victorious in the race which have borne off prizes by their feet no pauper would the man be nor in want of precious gold to whom as many prizes belong as these solid-hooved steeds have brought to me i will likewise give seven beautiful lesbian women skilful in faultless works whom i selected when he himself took well-inhabited lesbos who excel the race of women in beauty these will i give him and amongst them will be her whom then i took away the daughter of Briseis, and i will swear moreover a mighty oath that i never ascended her bed nor embraced her as is the custom of human beings of men and women all these shall immediately be ready and if moreover the gods grant that we destroy the city of priam let him fill his ships abundantly with gold and brass entering in when we the greeks divide the spoil let him also choose twenty trojan women who may be fairest next to argive helen but if we reach achaean argos the udder of the land he may become my son-in-law and i will honour him equally with orestes who is nurtured as my darling son in great affluence now i have three daughters in my well-built palace chrysothemis laodice and iphianassa 
of these let him lead the beloved one whichsoever he may choose without marriage dower to the house of peleus but i will give very many dowries so many as no man ever yet gave to his daughter i will moreover give him seven well-inhabited cities cardamyle enope and grassy ira glorious Berea, with deep-pastured anthea fair apeia and vine-bearing pedasses which are all near the sea the last towards sandy pilus but in them dwell men rich in flocks and herds who will honour him like a god with gifts and beneath his sceptre will pay rich tributes these will i bestow upon him ceasing from his anger let him be prevailed upon pluto indeed is implacable and inexorable wherefore he is the most hateful of all the gods to men let him likewise yield to me inasmuch as i am more kingly and because i boast to be older than he but him the gerenian knight nestor then answered most glorious son of atreus king of men agamemnon thou indeed offerest gifts by no means despicable to king achilles but come let us urge chosen men who may go with all speed to the tent of achilles the son of peleus come then these will i select but let them obey first of all indeed let phoenix dear to jove be the leader next then mighty ajax and divine ulysses and of the heralds let hodius and eurybates follow with them but bring water for the hands and command to observe well-omened words that we may supplicate saturnian jove if perchance he will take pity thus he spake and delivered an opinion agreeable to them all immediately indeed the heralds poured water upon their hands and the youths crowned the goblets with wine then they distributed them to all having poured the first of the wine into the cups but when they had made libations and drank them as much as their minds desired they hastened from the tent of agamemnon the son of atreus to them the gerenian knight nestor gave many charges looking wistfully upon each particularly upon ulysses that they should endeavour to persuade the blameless son of peleus they twain then went along to the shore of the loud-sounding sea praying earnestly to earth-shaking neptune who encompasses the earth that they might easily persuade the great mind of the grandson of achus but they came to the tents and ships of the myrmidons and they found him delighting his soul with the clear-toned harp beautiful curiously wrought and upon it was a silver comb this he had taken from amongst the spoils having destroyed the city of Eteon, and with it he was delighting his soul and singing the glorious deeds of heroes patroclus alone sat opposite to him in silence waiting upon the descendant of achus when he should cease to sing then they advanced farther and divine ulysses proceeded and they stood before him whilst achilles astonished leaped up with his lyre quitting the seat where he had been sitting in like manner patroclus when he beheld the heroes arose and swift-footed achilles taking them by the hand addressed them hail warriors ye indeed have come as friends surely there is some great necessity when ye come who are to me although enraged dearest of the greeks thus having spoken divine achilles led them forward and seated them upon couches and purple coverlets then straightway he addressed patroclus who was near place a larger goblet o son of menoetius mix purer wine and prepare a cup for each for men most dear to me are beneath my roof thus he spoke and patroclus obeyed his dear companion 
but he achilles placed in the flame of the fire a large dressing-block and upon it he laid the chine of a sheep and of a fat goat with the back of a fatted sow abounding in fat automedon then held them for him and noble achilles cut them up and divided them skilfully into small pieces and transfixed them with spits whilst the son of maniotius a godlike hero kindled a large fire but when the fire had burned away and the flame grew languid strewing the embers he extended the spits over them and sprinkled them with sacred salt raising them up from the racks but when he had dressed them and had thrown them upon kitchen tables patroclus taking bread served it out upon the board in beautiful baskets but achilles distributed the flesh but he himself sat opposite to noble ulysses against the other wall and ordered patroclus his companion to sacrifice to the gods and he accordingly cast the first morsels into the fire and they stretched forth their hands to the prepared viands which lay before them but when they had dismissed the desire of eating and drinking ajax nodded to phoenix but noble ulysses observed it and having filled his goblet with wine he pledged achilles health achilles we are not wanting of a complete feast either in the tent of agamemnon son of atreus or even here also for many strength recruiting dainties are here but the business of an agreeable feast is not our care we o thou jove nurtured one contemplating it rather dread a very great disaster as it is a matter of doubt whether the well-benched ships be saved or destroyed unless thou puttest on thy might for near the ships and the wall the high-minded trojans and their far-summoned allies have pitched their camp kindling many fires throughout the host and they say that they will no longer restrain themselves but that they will fall upon our black vessels and saturnian jove exhibiting to them propitious signs darts his lightning and hector looking fiercely round in valour rages terribly trusting in jove nor reverences at all either men or gods but great madness hath come upon him he prays that divine morn may speedily come for he declares that he will cut off the poop ends of the ship and burn the ships themselves with ravaging fire and slaughter the greeks beside them discomforted by the smoke wherefore do i greatly fear in my mind lest the gods may fulfil his threats and it be destined for us to perish in troy far from steed nourishing argos rise then if thou hast the intention although late to defend the harassed sons of the greeks from the violent onslaught of the trojans to thyself it will hereafter be a cause of sorrow nor is it possible in any manner to discover a remedy for a disaster when received wherefore reflect much beforehand how thou mayest avert the evil day from the greeks o my friend surely thy father peleus charged thee on that day when he sent thee from pythia to agamemnon my son minerva and juno will bestow valour if they choose but restrain thy great-hearted soul within thy breast because humanity is better and abstain from injurious contention that both the youth and elders of the greeks may honour thee the more thus did the old man give charge but thou art forgetful yet even now desist and lay aside thy mind corroding wrath to thee agamemnon gives worthy gifts ceasing from indignation but if thou wilt hear from me and i will repeat to thee how many presents agamemnon in his tents hath promised thee seven tripods untouched by the fire and ten talents of gold twenty shining cauldrons and twelve stout steeds victorious in the race 
which have borne off prizes by their feet no pauper nor in want of precious gold would that a man be to whom so many prizes belonged to the steeds of agamemnon have borne off by their fleetness he will likewise give seven beautiful women skilful in faultless works lesbians whom he selected when thou thyself didst take well-inhabited lesbos who then excelled the race of women in beauty these will he give thee and amongst them will be her whom once he took away the daughter of Briseis, and he will moreover swear a mighty oath that he never ascended her in bed nor embraced her as is the custom o king both of men and women all these shall immediately be in waiting and if moreover the gods grant that we pillage the vast city of priam entering thou mayest fill thy ships abundantly with gold and brass when we the greeks divide the spoil thou shalt also choose twenty trojan women who may be fairest next to argive helen but if we reach achaean argos the udder of the land thou mayest become his son-in-law and he will honour thee equally with orestes who is nurtured as his darling son in great affluence but he has three daughters in his well-built palace chrysothemis leodice and iphianassa of these thou shalt conduct the most beloved whomsoever thou mayest choose without marriage gifts to the house of peleus but he will give very many dowries such as no man yet gave his daughter he will moreover give thee seven well-inhabited cities cardamyle enope and grassy ira the glorious pherea with deep-pastured anthea fair apeia and vine-bearing padassus which are all near the sea the last towards sandy pylas but in them dwell men abounding in flocks and herds who will honour thee with gifts like a god and under thy sceptre pay rich tributes these will he fulfil to thee ceasing from thy wrath but if indeed the son of atreus himself and his gifts be more hateful to thee from thine heart at least have pity upon all the other greeks harassed throughout the army who will honour thee as a god for surely thou wilt obtain very great honour among them but for now mayest thou slay hector since he hath already come very near thee possessing destructive fury since he declares that no one of the greeks whom the ships have conveyed hither in his equal but him swift-footed achilles answering addressed most noble son of laertes much scheming ulysses it behooves me indeed to speak my opinion without reserve even as i think and as will be accomplished that ye may not sitting beside me keep whining one after another hateful to me as the gates of hades is he who conceals one thing in his mind and utters another but i will speak as appears to me to be best and i think that neither agamemnon the son of atreus nor the other greeks will persuade me since there is no gratitude to him who fights ever ceaselessly with hostile men on equal portion falls to him who loiters as if one continually fight and the coward is in equal honour with the brave the man of no deeds and the man of many are wont equally to die nor does anything lie by me as a store because i have suffered sorrows in my soul ever risking my life to fight and as the bird brings food to her unfledged young when she hath found it although she fares badly herself so have i too spent many sleepless nights and gone through bloody days in combat fighting with heroes for their wives' sakes twelve cities indeed of men have i wasted with my ships and on foot i say eleven throughout the fertile troad 
from all these have i carried off many and precious spoils and bearing them have given all to agamemnon the son of atreus whilst he remaining behind at the swift ships receiving them hath distributed but few but retained many to the chiefs and kings hath he given other prizes to whom indeed they remain entire but from me alone of the greeks hath he taken it away and he possesses my spouse dear to my soul with whom reclining let him delight himself but why is it necessary that the greeks wage war with the trojans or from what necessity did the son of atreus assembling an army lead it hither was it not on account of fair-haired helen do the sons of atreus alone of articulate speaking men love their wives surely not since whatever man is good and prudent loves and cherishes his spouse thus i too loved her from my soul though the captive of my spear and now since he hath snatched my reward from my hands and deceived me let him not make trial of me already well informed for he will not persuade me but let him consider with thee o ulysses and the other kings how he may repel the hostile fire from the ships assuredly he has already accomplished many labours without me he has already built a rampart and drawn a trench broad and large beside it and planted in it palisades but not even thus can he restrain the might of manslaughtering hector whilst i indeed fought amongst the greeks hector chose not to arouse the battle at a distance from the wall but he came only as far as the scaean gates and the beech tree there once he awaited me alone and with difficulty escaped my attack but since i choose not to war with noble hector to-morrow having performed sacrifices to jove and all the gods and having well laden my ships when i shall have drawn them down to the sea thou shalt behold if thou wilt and if such things be a care to thee my ships early in the morn sailing upon the fishy hellespont and men within them eager for rowing and if glorious neptune grant but a prosperous voyage on the third day i shall surely reach fertile pythia now there i have very many possessions which i left coming hither to my loss and i will carry hence other gold and ruddy brass well-girdled women and hoary iron which i have obtained by lot but the reward which he gave king agamemnon the son of atreus hath himself insultingly taken from me to whom do i tell all things as i charge thee openly that the other greeks also may be indignant if he ever clad in impudence still hope to deceive any of the greeks nor let him dare dog-like as he is to look in my face i will neither join in counsels nor in any action with him for he hath already deceived and offended me nor shall he again overreach me with words it is enough for him to do so once but in quiet let him perish for provident jove hath deprived him of reason hateful to me are his gifts and himself i value not a hair not if he were to give me ten and twenty times as many gifts as he now has and if others were to be added from any other quarter nor as many as arrive at Archomenus or egyptian thebes where numerous possessions are laid up in the mansions and where are one hundred gates from each of which rush out two hundred men with horses and chariots nor if he were to give me as many as are the sands and dust not even thus shall agamemnon persuade my mind until he indemnify me for all his mind-grieving insult but i will not wed the daughter of agamemnon the son of atreus not if she were fit to contend in beauty with golden venus or were an equal in accomplishments to azuridide minerva not even thus will i wed her let him then select another of the greeks who may suit him and who is more the king 
for if the gods preserve me and i reach home then will peleus himself hereafter bestow upon me a lady in marriage there are many grecian women throughout hellas and phythia daughters of chieftains who defend the cities whomsoever of these i may choose i will make my beloved wife and there my generous soul very much desires that i wedding a betrothed spouse a fit partner of my bed should enjoy the possessions which aged peleus hath acquired for not worth my life are all the treasures which they say the well-inhabited city ilium possessed whilst formerly at peace before the sons of the greeks arrived nor all which the stony threshold of the archer phoebus apollo contains within it in rocky pytho by plunder oxen and fat sheep are to be procured tripods are to be procured and the yellow heads of steeds but the life of man cannot be obtained nor seized so as to return again when once it has passed the enclosure of the teeth for my goddess mother silver-footed thetis declares that double destinies lead me on to the end of death if on the other hand remaining here i wage war around the city of the trojans return is lost to me but my glory will be immortal but if on the other hand i return home to my dear fatherland my excellent glory is lost but my life will be lasting nor will the end of death speedily seize upon me and to others also would i give advice to sail home for ye will not find an end of lofty ilium for far-sounding jove hath stretched over it his hand and the people have taken courage but do ye departing bear back this message to the chiefs of the greeks for such is the office of ambassadors that they devise within their minds some other better plan which for them may preserve their ships and the army of the greeks in the hollow barks since this which they have now devised is not expedient for them while i cherish my wrath but let phoenix remaining here recline beside us that to-morrow if he will he may follow me in the ships to my dear fatherland although i will by no means lead him away by compulsion thus he spoke but they all became mute in silence marvelling at his speech for he answered with much vehemence at length however the aged knight phoenix addressed him shedding tears for he greatly feared for the ships of the greeks if indeed o illustrious achilles thou dost now meditate a return within thy mind nor art at willing to repel the destructive fire from the swift ships because indignation hath fallen upon thy soul how then can i my dear child be left here alone by thee for aged peleus the breaker of steeds sent me forth with thee on that day when he dispatched thee from pythia to agamemnon a boy not yet skilled either in equally destroying war nor in councils where men also become illustrious on which account he sent me forth to teach thee all these things that thou mightest become both an orator in words and a performer in deeds thus then my dear child i wish not at length to be left by thee not even if a god himself having divested me of old age should promise that he would render me a blooming youth such as i was when first i quitted fair damed hellas flying the contingents of my father amentor son of ormenus who was enraged with me on account of a fair-haired concubine whom he himself loved but dishonoured his wife my mother but she continually would embrace my knees in supplication that i first should have connection with a concubine that she might loathe the old man her i obeyed and did so but my father immediately perceiving it uttered many execrations and invoked the hateful erinus 
that no dear son sprung from me should ever be placed upon his knees and the gods ratified his execrations both infernal jove and dread proserpine then my soul within my mind could no longer endure that i should sojourn in the palace whilst my father was enraged my friends indeed and relations being much about me detained me there within the halls entreating me to stay many fat sheep and stamping-footed crooked-horned oxen they slaughtered many swine abounding in fat were stretched out to be roasted in the flame of vulcan and much of the old man's wine was drunk out of earthen vessels nine nights did they sleep around me whilst taking it in turns they kept watch nor was the fire ever extinguished one in the portico of the well-fenced hall and another in the vestibule before the chamber doors but when at length the tenth shady night had come upon me then indeed i rushed forth having burst the skilfully joined doors of the apartment and i easily overleaped the fence of the hall escaping the notice of the watchmen and the female domestics afterward i fled thence through spacious hellas and came to fertile pythia the mother of sheep to king peleus who kindly received me and loved me even as a father loves his only son born in his old age to ample possessions he made me opulent and bestowed upon me much people and i inhabited the extreme shores of pythia ruling over the dolopians these too o godlike achilles have i rendered what thou art loving thee from my soul since thou wouldst not go with another to the feast nor take food in the mansion until i placing thee upon my knees satisfied thee with viands previously carving them and supplied thee with wine often hast thou wetted the tunic upon my breast ejecting the wine in infant peevishness thus have i borne very many things from thee and much have i laboured thinking this that since the gods have not granted an offspring to me from myself i should at least make thee my son o achilles like unto the gods that thou mightest yet repel from me unworthy destiny but o achilles subdue thy mighty rage it is by no means necessary for thee to have a merciless heart flexible are even the gods themselves whose virtue honour and might are greater than thine even these when any one transgresses and errs do men divert from their wrath by sacrifices and appeasing vows and frankincense and savour for prayers also are the daughters of supreme jove both halt and wrinkled and squint-eyed which following on ate from behind are fall of care but ate is robust and sound in limb wherefore she far outstrips all and arrives first at every land doing injury to men whilst these afterwards cure them whosoever will reverence the daughters of jove approaching him they are wont greatly to aid and hear when praying but whosoever will deny and obstinately refuse them then indeed drawing near they entreat saturnian jove that ate may follow along with them that being injured in turn he may pay the penalty but o achilles do thou too yield honour to accompany the daughters of jove which bends the minds of other brave men for if atreides brought not gifts and did not mention others in futurity but would ever rage vehemently i for my part would not advise that casting away wrath thou shouldst defend the greeks although greatly in need but now he at once gives both many immediately and promises others hereafter 
moreover he hath dispatched the best men to supplicate thee having selected throughout the grecian army those who are dearest to thyself whose entreaty do not thou despise nor their mission although formerly fault was not to be found with thee because thou wert enraged thus also have we heard the renown of heroes of former days when vehement wrath came upon any that they were both appeasable by gifts and to be reconciled by words i remember this ancient and by no means modern deed of what sort it was and i will repeat it among you all being friends the Carates and Aetolians, obstinate in battle fought around the city of caledon and slaughtered each other the Aetolians, in defence of lofty caledon the Curates eager to lay it waste in war for between them had golden throne diana excited mischief indignant because oeneus had not offered the first fruits in sacrifice in the fertile spot of ground whilst the other gods feasted on hecatombs but to the daughter of mighty jove alone he sacrificed not either he forgot or did not think of it but he did greatly err in his mind but she the daughter of jove delighting in arrows enraged sent against him a sylvan wild boar with white tusks which did much detriment as is the want of boars to the land of oeneus and many tall trees one after another did he prostrate on the ground with their very roots and blossom of their fruit but him Lager, son of oeneus slew assembling huntsmen and dogs from many cities for he would not have been subdued by a few mortals so mighty was he and he caused many to ascend the sad funeral pile still she diana excited around him a great tumult and war between the Curates and magnanimous aetolians for the head and bristly skin of the boar whilst warlike meleager fought so long were the Curates unsuccessful nor were they able although numerous to remain without the wall but when wrath which swells the minds of others though very prudent within their breasts came upon meleager for enraged at heart with his dear mother althea he remained inactive beside his wedded wife fair cleopatra daughter of marpessa the handsome-footed child of avenus and idas who was then the bravest of earthly men and even lifted a bow against king phabus apollo for the sake of his fair-ankled spouse her cleopatra then father and venerable mother in the palace were accustomed to call by the surname of alcyone because her mother having the plaintive note of sad alcyone lamented with far-darting phoebus apollo stole her away beside her he meleager remained inactive brooding over his sad anger enraged because of the curses of his mother who much grieving prayed to the gods on account of the murder of her brethren often with her hands did she strike the fruitful earth calling upon pluto and dread proserpine reclining upon her knees whilst her bosom was bedewed with tears to give death to her son but her the Irines, wandering in gloom possessing an implacable heart heard from erebus then immediately was there noise and tumult of these excited round the gates the towers being battered then did the elders of the aetolians entreat him and sent chosen priests to the gods that he would come forth and defend them promising a great gift where the soil of fertile caledon was richest there they ordered him to choose a beautiful enclosure of fifty acres the one half of land fit for vines to cut off the other half of plain land free from wood for tillage 
much did aged oeneus breaker of steeds beseech him having ascended to the threshold of his lofty roofed chamber shaking the well-glued door-post supplicating his son and much also his sisters and a venerable mother entreated him but he the more refused and much prayed the companions who were dearest and most friendly of all but not even thus did they persuade the soul within his breast until his chamber was violently assailed and the Curates were in the act of scaling the ramparts and firing the great city then indeed at length his fair-girdled spouse weeping supplicated meleager and recounted all the disasters as many as happen to men whose city may be taken in the first place they slay the men whilst fire reduces the city to ashes and others carry off the children and deep-zoned women then was his soul disturbed when he heard of evil deeds and he hasted to go out and gird the all-glittering armour around his body thus he repelled the evil day from the aetolians yielding to his own inclination but they did not make good to him the many and pleasing gifts but he nevertheless warded off evil but revolve not such things within thy mind o my friend nor let the deity thus turn thee since it would be more dishonourable to assist the ships when already set on fire rather come for the gifts for the greeks will honour thee equally with a god if again without gifts thou enter the man-destroying battle thou wilt not receive equal honour although warding off the war but him swift-footed achilles answering addressed phoenix respected father old man jove nurtured to me there is no need of this honour for i conceive that i have been honoured by the best of jove which will detain me at the crooked ships whilst breath remains in my bosom and my knees have the power of motion but i will tell thee something else and do thou revolve it in thy mind disturb not my soul weeping and lamenting gratifying the hero atreides it is not at all necessary that thou love him that thou mayest not be hated by me who love thee it is proper for thee with me to give annoyance to him who hath annoyed me rule equally with me and receive my honour in half these will bear back my message but do thou remaining here recline upon a soft bed and with morn appearing let us consult whether we shall return to our native land or remain he said and in silence nodded to patroclus from beneath his brows that he should strew a thick bed for phoenix whilst they were meditating to withdraw as quickly as possible from the tent but them godlike telamonian ajax addressed o jove-born son of laertes crafty ulysses let us go for the object of our address appears not to me to be attainable in this way at least and we must report the message to the greeks with all haste although it be not good they now sit expecting us but achilles stores up within his breast a fierce and haughty soul unyielding nor does he regard the friendship of his companions with which we have honoured him at the ships beyond others merciless one and truly some one hath accepted compensation even for a brother's death or his own son slain whilst the murderer remained at home among his people having paid many expiations and the mind and noble soul of the other is appeased upon his having received compensation but in thy breast the gods have put an unyielding and evil mind for the sake of a maid only whereas we now offer thee seven far excelling and many other gifts beside them do thou then assume a propitious disposition and have respect to thy house for we are guests beneath thy roof from the multitude of the greeks and desire to be most dear and friendly to thee beyond all the achaeans as many as they are 
but him swift-footed achilles answering addressed most noble ajax son of telamon chief of the people thou appearest to me to have said all this from thy soul yet does my heart swell with indignation as often as i recollect those things how the son of atreus hath rendered me dishonoured among the greeks as if it were some contemptible stranger but go ye and carry back my message for i shall not think of bloody war before the son of warlike priam noble hector slaughtering the greeks shall reach the ships of the myrmidons and burn the ships with fire but about my tent and black ship however i think that hector although eager will desist from combat thus he spake but they each having seized a double goblet having made libations went back by the side of the fleet and ulysses led the way but patroclus gave orders to his companions and female domestics to strew with all haste a thick couch for phoenix and they obedient spread a bed as he desired sheepskins coverlets and the fine fabric of flax there lay the old man and awaited heavenly morn but achilles slept in the recesses of his well-made tent and beside him lay a lady fair-cheeked diomede daughter of phorbus whom he had brought from lesbos and patroclus on the other side reclined and by him also lay fair-wasted iphis whom noble achilles gave him having taken lofty skyros a city of aeneas but when they were within the tents of atreides the son of the greeks rising one after another received with them the golden cups and interrogated thus at first the king of men agamemnon inquired come tell me o ulysses much praised great glory of the greeks whether does he wish to ward off the hostile fire from the ships or has he refused and does wrath still possess his haughty soul but him much enduring noble ulysses then addressed most glorious son of atreus agamemnon king of men he wills not to extinguish his wrath but is the more filled with anger and despises thee as well as thy gifts he bids thee thyself consult with the greeks in what manner thou mayest preserve both the ships and the army of the greeks but has himself threatened that with the rising dawn he will launch into the main his well-benched equally plied vessels and he has declared that he would advise others also to sail home since ye will not now effect the destruction of lofty ilium for far resounding jove hath greatly stretched forth his hand over it and the people have taken courage thus he spoke and here are these who followed me ajax and the two heralds both prudent men to tell these things but aged phoenix hath lain down there for thus he ordered that in the morning if he chose he might follow him in the ships to his dear fatherland but he will by no means carry him off against his will thus he spake and they all became mute in silence marvelling at his speech for he harangued with great vehemence long were the sorrowing sons of the greeks mute till at length diomede valiant in the din of battle addressed him most glorious son of atreus king of men agamemnon would that thou hast not supplicated the illustrious son of peleus offering countless gifts for he is haughty even otherwise now again hast thou excited him much more to insolence let us however leave him alone whether he go or remain for he will fight again at that time when his mind within his breast urges and the deity incites him but come let us all obey as i shall advise go now to rest having satisfied your hearts with food and wine for this is force and vigour but when fair rosy-fingered morn has shone forth draw up the infantry and cavalry with all haste before the ships cheering them and do thou thyself likewise fight in the foremost ranks thus he spake but all the kings approved admiring the speech of diomede the breaker of steeds having then offered libations they departed each to his tent there they lay due to rest and enjoyed the boon of sleep 
End of Book the Ninth, read by Stephen Carney. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.